why is that? We could mix that around because that gives him the control. That gives him the power over the meeting, yeah. even though he's he's not the one running it. Yeah. Which is interesting. And it's not and it's not an intent and they're not aware of it. So it's not like a toxic thing, as hmm. in I'm in charge. And is is that awareness of people and their personalities changing when they're around others? Is that something that you teach business owners or, or can it be taught? Well, it can be taught because I think what happens is you're either entering the conversation or you're creating the conversation. I believe you left school quite early as a result of that, didn't you? Yeah. Left school at about eight and a half. That is quite early. So today on The Engaging Marketeer, I am joined by Lee Tunney-Ware. Lee has uh, quite a unique story. He left school at a very early age. When I say early, I'm talking before the age of 10. Uh, But he didn't let that stop him. Lee has gone on to become very successful in both the fields of business and in his own family life. Lee has his own cricket team worth of children, 11 kids uh, and grandkids as well. And I'm talking to Lee about the incredible similarities and learnings you can get from a family and social life and how that translates into a work um, and in business environment social life and the way that humans within the business world are very similar to animals. Right. Um, so if it's all right, one thing I noticed when I was, I was researching what you've done is you and me have got something in common, and that's we were both bullied quite badly at school. So I just wanted to touch on that for a moment. What kind of impact was that on you, and, and how did it affect you? Well, if anything, I think it shaped me. I think it actually gave me the character I've got today. And uh, uh, not necessarily, it's double fold. My brother and I went to the same school, my brother's um, partially sighted and a little bit autistic. So, he would, and what added to that as well, we moved from the UK to Ireland in the 70s, or end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s. And we moved to the west of Ireland. That's where my mum was from. So it wasn't a good time to have an English accent in those days. So hmm. I suppose one of an English accent. Now, I used to get bullied quite a lot, but my brother actually got bullied worse. So it, it developed my empathy, my awareness. Um, for a while there, you're like a deer in the headlights. But for some reason, I've got this, I don't know, this, this could be my perception, Darren. It's like an extrasensory perception. You're aware, your awareness level seems to be tenfold out from you. Like your senses have this radar. And I thought about it loads of times. And the only thing I can come up with, because my brother was partially sighted and because we lived in, and some people were very good to us when we were at school, but some weren't. And because you were always on edge, you never knew what was going to happen and some bullies were very good at being nice to you and then bullying you and making you the butt of the joke mm. um, you could put up with that so let's say you could but when it got to sort of hitting or they used to run through the playground with my brother and a bit like the, the tag game and what they used to do to him was run and once somebody would smack him around the face because he couldn't see who it was and you would hear this scream and if you asked him, like, but he was older than me, he was three years older than me. So if you asked him, he wouldn't be able to tell you who it was. 
So it was quite a strange scenario because you knew these threats were there. They would happen sometimes. You never had anybody to sort of know who it was. So that then it became everybody because you don't know who's doing it. Um, so I think what happened with me was told the teachers, told mum and dad, and it just didn't stop. So it, hmm. in a sense, it did. And a few of the roles in my life changed because my brother was my older brother and I had to protect him. I sort of became the older brother and I was only like seven or eight. So it, it broke, I think, some of the social construct that controls us as humans where, and it, a lot of people might say I'm an alpha, I'm not. I, I don't want to be in charge, don't want responsibility, but always seem to be at the right place at the right time to deal with things. So whether that answers your question, I don't know, but it, it, it seems to be a core part of me. So that... Whether that, whether I've communicated effectively, sir, I don't know. No, no, it, it does. I mean, it, it's similar to me. It, it, it's it's affected me in the way I, I've shaped what I do in life. Um, how, I believe you left school quite early as a result of that, didn't you? Yeah, left school at about eight and a half. It, that is quite early. It has yeah. to be said. What? How? Oh. What was it like leaving school that early? What 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 did you go to? Well, you think like one well we went we were taught at home, but we were taught in a multiple way. And I got severe dyslexia, so it, it it we were like I was taught many things with my hands, like how to fence, how to build balls. I was able to brick lay at fourteen, and I mean lay two or three hundred bricks at fourteen. Hmm. So I was plastering, plumbing. Um, my dad's the philosophy was if you knew how to add up, yeah, and you knew how to communicate, yeah, and you you could do it in voice, yeah, and um, then that was all the skills you need to know. So he would, he, bear in mind, I find it very hard even to this day, I'm 58, to read. I can read, but I read from memory. I don't read phonetically. Hmm. Uh, so skills-wise, I think it developed me. The, the, I suppose the bit, it was quite a unique cooking pot. So my social skills wouldn't have been the best because we grew up in in rural Ireland on a farm. And um, so there'd only be the neighbours and the, the houses are spread out. So you wouldn't have a neighbour next door. You wouldn't be able to go and play football with your mate. So... You never got invited to birthday parties or anything like that. And um, so you didn't have really social skills in your, my collaborator, my, oh, I was going to say collaboration, my um, vocabulary, yeah, hadn't developed because it was all basic stuff. It would be if you put the cows out, if you milk the cows, if you've done this, if you've done that, fence in the backfield's broke. And it would be like, a bit like Groundhog Day, really. Each day would repeat itself. So really... I suppose, emotional development, personal development, as in um, awareness of different things like that. And it was a very safe place, so I enjoyed it. We used to go horse riding and different things like that. But you never, it was like you lived in a bubble. Hmm. It was only when we started, my brother, obviously being three years older than me, when he started going to discos and that, when he was like, say, 17, I would have gone with him at 14. And that's when I started to see 
sort of that's where I really started to develop because the bubble now you were outside the bubble and I suppose because most of my life from eight and a half to say 14 15 upwards I work with animals it's more a non-verbal communication and really humans are just mammals really so you sort of learn to have an instinct about you seem to know what's going on without it being said if that makes sense. And I combine that with the deer in the headlights bit. So in many ways, I'm very well educated now, yeah, but um, in those days, the general reading, writing, arithmetic, it was just the basics. Um, but my awareness skills with people, I think, are a much higher level, mainly because of that threat in the early days. Hmm. So I wouldn't change it. Yeah, I wouldn't change it, even though I had to learn social skills at 14, 15, 16, to be out there sort of... I could never get around my head that I could be talking to you and you and I could be getting on great and somebody else would come in the room and your personality change. And you think, well, why? You understand what I mean? And you think, well, what happened there, right? And then you realise that somewhere psychologically, the person who just entered the room had some form of control over that person. And it's amazing to watch the pecking order play out, even just at a party, a wedding, at a, a business meeting. Yeah, it's amazing how people are sort of, even though social skills are good, it's amazing, I suppose, that social construct programming that happens organically. It doesn't seem, it's not with intent, it's not with malicious, uh, malicious intent or any planning. It just seems to be organically. If they're bigger or they're stronger or they're, they're the star football player or whatever, it just seems to give them a little bit more authority and you wonder why everybody doesn't have the same value regardless of what they do or how much they have, if that makes sense. Mm. And is, is that awareness of people and their personalities changing when they're around others? Is that something that you teach business owners or, or can it be taught? Well, it can be taught because I think what happens is you're either entering the conversation or you're creating the conversation. Now, uh, and, and that seems to be the two in, in everyday communication, that's, that's the construct. There's either a conversation going on that you're not part of and you can enter it or they keep you out of it. But in business, it's a totally different level of communication. I think what happens in business or marketing or team communication is a lot of people are running this social construct, um, organic type communication. They haven't put it into a skill or a framework and, and separated professional from personal. Um, and you see it a lot in companies where say the rotor, I do a lot of team building with hotels and you find that the person that's in charge of the rotor has a lot of friends but they didn't have so many friends before they got in charge of the rotor I've sort of said it that way so it's heard hmm. and what happens is because they're friends they get the Saturday off but then when they don't get the Saturday off well I thought we were mates, why didn't you give me the Saturday off so it's not like they're not aware. It's that they once the empathetic connection's established, but are we friends with people because we're friends? Or are we friends with people because we're in a position to open doors for them? 
So some people utilise it as a tool. I don't go into the toxic type, narcissistic type communication because I don't think it, it's anything like that. I think that's just the label we put on um, negative communication. What I think is happening is most people aren't aware. I think it's that awareness level. Um, and we sort of develop these habits or communication frameworks that support us. But when we go into business, it's task-driven. Anyone that's employed in that team is being paid for certain tasks. There's a certain way of doing things. And I think when the ego comes into it or um, the pecking order comes into it, I think that disrupts business a lot. Because business to me is a bit like counting one, two, three, all the way through. Same as marketing. Marketing has a certain certain way of doing it, but some people just keep pushing the same message and think that's marketing, which you would know more about that than me. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's weird to observe, and I suppose because I didn't have that and I never sort of – I'll use this word, and I'm not sure it's the right word – never got indoctrinated into it. So I don't think it's an indoctrination. I don't think it's a programming. I don't think it's a conditioning. I think it's just us as humans – and I don't think anyone's to blame. I don't think it was taught. I think it's just the way we interact. And I don't know whether it's a confidence thing or lack of knowledge, but once we go into a business, we we should have a clear outcome of what we're looking to achieve. And this is more than one, as in more and more than two, really. The dynamic seems to change when it's three. As soon as there seems to be a witness, when it's two of us talking and there's nobody listening in or people being recorded or anything like that, you can deny everything I said or I can deny everything you said. Mm-hmm. And it's not what is said, it's what's heard. So I might say something and you might have a different meaning for the words because we all seem to walk around with, um, we know what the words mean when we can look in the Oxford Dictionary, but we all seem to have our own organic dictionary for our language. It seems like our language needs a language itself to interpret it because it creates so much conflict and disruption. Where, So I think it's clear communication frameworks, everybody knowing what we mean by X. The challenge is sometimes, depending on the person or the people you're talking to, they won't always speak up, which means you don't know what they're thinking and you don't know their perspective of it. So you sort of end up having to become a mind reader yeah, or utilising telepathy, where if people actually spoke to, you might say, does that make sense to you, John? Can you see it? Can you see what we're saying, Mary? Could you just give your take on it? To get their take, to, to John, if you could just give me what that means to you, just so we stay on the same page. Because in business or in teams, you have to be like a choir. Mm. And if one person's thinking something differently, there's nothing wrong with their them thinking something differently, because that's their right to think those thoughts. But when it becomes to a team aspect or a company aspect, there's a, a goal at the end of it we have to fit within policies and procedures. So individual thought can, if they don't share those thoughts or their concerns, and that's why I think HR is such a problem in companies, because it's down to really communication. It's different when somebody hits you or different things like that, or they go out of your way. But normally it starts with just a lack 
um, of either poor social skills or the pecking order. The pecking order, they have a value and that they feel that they're being disrespected because that value isn't being met. Mm. But where did we get this value from in the first place? Is it from title or how, how many? How, how, how often do you think it is that, that business owners are aware of all of this or are they just kind of plodding along and not realise that there is some sort of internal social struggle going on within their, their business? That's a good question. I um I think they're aware as in they see the consequences of it. But I don't think they're aware as they understand why the consequences are there because it's it's a bit like micro moments, yeah, and in, in, in a good so you're not micromanaging, it's it's nothing like that. So I'm saying that so it doesn't get put in that category consciously. Mm. Is it's small things that seem to make big, big effects. So having clear communications, having a summary of the meeting, not not an agenda summary, as in, right, we've covered this, this, this. Right, we're just going around the table just to see where everybody is, so just we're on the same page. And sometimes a good metaphor to anchor it in. But I don't think people, like you say, business owners, the majority I've worked with aren't aware of it. Once they change their communication and their framework, what a lot of business owners seems to be doing is fighting their way forward mm. and I think that falls into like a warrior mindset, reaching summit business isn't going to be easy, it's like climbing the ladder and while you're climbing it people are treading you down, so they're going into the arena every day, some especially if they're an entrepreneur that starts to stay at the kitchen table and build their way up and I think as well that can be in both sexes, I don't think it's any different, I think it comes across slightly different um when it's a woman entrepreneur, you know, a lot of my, probably 8% of my clients are women, um, that I think sometimes um, women can sometimes put it down, it's because of their sex, but men actually struggle with the problem worse, I think. Men seem to, and I don't know whether, I haven't worked out whether they're being treated worse or whether men react to it differently. But it, it, it seems to be common, and like I say, eight percent of my, my coaching clients are women, uh, and women entrepreneurs. So it, it doesn't seem to have any consciousness in the leadership area. Simon said it does a good job of it, and his message is very good, but I think it gets lost in translation. As I've known, people have read a lot of books, and you ask them what books they've read to get an insight, and what did you get from that book, whatever. Uh, but when it comes to communication, I think that our feelings get in the way. And so we, we are second-guessing. So coming back to that awareness, having that awareness, it's great to have the awareness. But if you're calculating the wrong data and coming up with the wrong outcome, as in Darren doesn't like me, why do you know I can tell by the way he didn't look at me? And I... And back in, are they just plodding along? And I think it's that plodding along bit that's the problem. You know, and call it plodding, but I think they're just they're task driven, and possibly since COVID, our time slots. We, if we were business people having meetings, we'd have time from meeting to meeting. If we were driving or getting the tube or the bus or whatever, and we'd have that little bit of downtime. And that downtime gave us time to reflect or rethink or position what we were going to say or think, well, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'll check him with John first just to see where he is. 
what I think is happening now when we're doing, let's say, back assumption, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs do back-to-back Zooms now, and there's no gap, there's no reflection time, no downtime. And they're getting more done, I've seen more meetings done. And I think that plodded along a bit because they're trying to squeeze as much into the day as possible, that it takes them into overwhelm because they haven't got those mental downtimes mm. organically that were, that were there. Whether, and it's sort of around the house, you Darren, if you know what I mean, but whether I'm right. But that's what I do with a lot of my clients is, I mean, if you're doing a lot of Zooms like I do, and I'm sure you do, yeah. is I, I have a bit of cushion time. Before I come on with you, I have time to get a coffee. Yeah, I have time to go and talk to the docs. I have 10 or 15 minutes before I come on this meeting. And I was on the link on time. Yeah, just in case Zoom had its update problems or whatever, and I was on the <laughs> Zoom, and we were good to go. Yeah. And I wasn't stressed. I wasn't carrying the energy from the last meeting. But I never used to do that, but I noticed in my own self and then from talking to clients. So that plodded along, I think, we have to put some strategies in place for well-being, for our own self-care. But I think if we don't do that, that can have a knock-on effect in our relationships, whether that be professional or personal. Whether, so does that, it's all around the house is my friend. No, it's a really interesting point because you're right. When we were obviously before COVID, you go to a meeting, you physically drive to a meeting, you have the meeting, you drive back. Maybe you're listening to the radio, maybe you're singing along in the radio. Maybe you're going over what was said in the meeting or you're planning what you're going to say and bitch in the next meeting. Whereas, yeah, now it's just one bang, 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 bang. And while, yeah, we can get a lot more done and we're not driving around, we're not stressed about traffic and we're not polluting the atmosphere, we are mentally switched on throughout the whole day and there's just no respite, there's no relax, there's no calm, there's no way to to, to evaluate what's just gone on because you're on to the next one, on to the next one. And it, it happens so suddenly. It's not like we evolved into video meetings which would have happened over the next 10 15 years it just suddenly it had to happen now and it's we're not prepared for it do you see that as being a problem and something that's actually going to have some kind of pressure pressure point some pressure point in the future where we're just going to go can't take this anymore you got it well i think and you've got a couple of folds to it. You've got the individual that's happened to who can't take it anymore. So that's the I part. But when we go to the we or us, the we being, say, husband and wife, partner, mm. or the us being family. And if we, so we take it in the personal, that, that all, all of those are the personal. Excuse me. When we take it into the, the I in the professional, excuse me, I'm going to maybe talk to people I've got good relationships in the company and then I could be doing emotional transference to them. So they can go, well, yeah, I'm feeling that way as well. And then we create this culture. It's like conscious contagion. So is the consequences to it? I think the consequences will be seen or are being seen, but people might see that that's the problem. And it's a bit like getting a puncher in a car. You've got your Dave booked out. Your first meeting's at nine o'clock. You've got an hour's traveling by car to the first meeting. You leave, if you're a, a smart person, you'll leave a bit of cushion time to allow for traffic because sometimes it's not always perfect. Me, I, I like 20 minutes minimum 
I like half an hour. I like to arrive at meeting, make sure I've got. I don't want to be parking at the first parking space to see in case and I get a ticket or whatever. I like time to organise my parking and and strolls at a meeting. I, I don't. Yeah, it's not. I can't cope with stress. I just don't like it. Hmm. So I like everything. I design everything. So if I have to leave half an hour beforehand, so I've got half an hour cushion time, time to get there, have a coffee. I'd like to be there first. I think it's a sign of respect. So. But let's say you're on route, you've got your cushion time built when you get a puncher. Now you're half an hour away from your meeting, you're stuck in traffic, you call the AA, the AA pick you up, and maybe you get a taxi to your first meeting. You might make it on time. But now every meeting you've got after that meeting is, let's say it's an hour long, you've got another journey, another journey, another journey. So your whole day's been getting buses, tubes, trains to whatever meetings or taxis. Yeah? Or you've called a friend to pick you up. At the end of the day, you go home and your next day's packed out, but now your car's in the garage because you didn't have time to pick it up because it wasn't in your schedule. And most of your weeks like this, hmm. you can say you're stressed out, yeah, because you're catching a train, you're doing this, you're doing that, you've got no downtime. And that's the problem, but the problem's the puncher. So I think people see it, but they see it in a different way. If they're rowing with their partner, short with the kids it could be on their teenagers well it could be a mixture of both and it comes back to awareness again what's actually happening so an audit's a good idea what's happening in my life have i got any downtime well i've got a lot on well, yeah we've got a lot on, but who put it on if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner who's who's in charge of your diary because that's where success is made success is scheduled well-being is scheduled wholesomeness and happiness is scheduled if, you, if you're stretching the week and then you're taking the weekend from the kids, I used to do this and I wouldn't have time to go to rugby matches or anything like that. Wouldn't have time to, like, you get to a Friday evening, you're knackered, you haven't got time to go out for a meal with your missus or think about going away or doing anything. Yeah, thanks for going away this weekend. Yeah, I can't, got, yeah, got busy week next week. Yeah, and we're exhausted. But if we're having that little, so if we're having the cushion time, I don't, it gives us a bit of downtime. Not only that, I, and this is probably a good one which um, most people might think about, is to reflect. When, we, when we've got that 10 or 15 minutes, even if we've got nothing to do with it, we don't have to be busy all the time. We're not on a conveyor belt. And we're more productive if we can look after ourselves. But in those small moments, we can reflect in so many different ways. Did I handle that correctly? Yeah. And if I did, yeah, am I proud of how I handled it? Can I build my confidence throughout the day. So if I'm in a day or one of those weeks where if I reflect at the time and I think, yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation with Darren, yeah, and I'm not going out of it thinking I should have said this, should have said that, hmm. and I've enjoyed it, then I can just, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Darren's a funny guy. And I can sit in the emotion of the energy that Darren's given me. I can sit in the emotion of the pride that I handled that well. And it gives me time just to reflect throughout the day because I, I think if we don't have those, whether it's five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, at the end of the day, we forget what happened at the beginning of the day because we're task-driven. And because we're task-driven, that's professional. The personal side of us that's doing all those tasks throughout the day, that's the asset, and that asset has to be taken care of. So are they aware of it? I think if people done an audit, personally and professionally, on their well-being, on their life, on their relationships, has divorce gone up? since we've come back from COVID. Mm. Yeah, are people in isolation? Yeah, like as in 
working from home office. Nothing wrong with the virtual office, so I love it. But some days I sit in the room 10 hours on my own. Don't see the kids, don't, you know, nothing wrong with that. I would have done better work before I might, like, in my world before COVID, my business world, I would have been meetings, I'd be talking to people, bumping into people, having conversations with you. Where today, whatever meetings I've got, either the people I'm going to talk to. When I run, I have meetings I run with 50, 60, 100 people on. And I'm interacting with them, but I'm not, I'm not communicating me with them. I'm mm. doing a task. And I don't mean that as in their task. I mean, my job's to facilitate a meeting. So I think it has changed and I think there are consequences to it. And I think the consequences will be seen in our health, fitness, mindset, communication, human connection. Nothing wrong with that. They're not, they're not, they are a consequence if we do nothing about it. If we're aware of it and we put a, a strategy in place, as in taking a little bit of downtime, perhaps in that downtime, reaching out to your partner, perhaps having a virtual coffee with your partner, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, whatever, to check in. Because if they're doing the same thing and you're both coming home, yeah, don't talk to me, I just need half an hour to myself. Each half an hour during the five-day work week, say, you know, it's two and a half hours that you weren't with your partner because they're just dealing with the downtime. Or they're going to the gym and unwinding. Mm. So... When you put that into longevity, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know the consequences. I don't think it'd be good, but that's not been a negative newsmaker. But I think awareness again, yeah, it's happening. This is the way it is. It's a good thing. I think technology is brilliant. So, but how can we serve the asset, the human? And how can we serve the interactions, the family? Yeah. So we like, Kids are getting seen and heard and understood. You've got time to look at the homework. You've got time to look at the little crayon drawing. It might mean nothing to you. It means everything to them. Yeah. You've got time to put the Christmas tree up. You've got time to play with train sets. Or they're, they're the moments. They're the things we're going to remember when, we, when we're retired, let's say. Whether that answers it, Darren, hopefully it does. No, that that's true. Yeah, those are the things you're going to remember, not the Zoom meeting you had with somebody on the 3rd of January 2023 you know that's not something you're going to remember it is going through the the drawings that your kids have done playing with train sets with the kids and as as you've mentioned that i believe you've got you've got one or two kids yourself 11 kids 11 11 kids and four grandkids yeah same probably a lot more grandkids but 11 how how did you manage 11 yeah so were you you trying to get trying to get a cricket team going or well, I thought you were going to go into this. I thought this was the Birds and the Bees podcast for a minute. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, uh, no I, I suppose the easiest way to say it is I love my wife a lot. So <laughs> that's the easiest way to say it. And we like wow. kids. So I like kids. Wow. And, and we got a good, we got a good family. Yeah, we, it can be quite hair-raising. We've got five teenagers at the minute. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, it can be quite challenging. Yeah, yeah but... Um, we're not tyrants. We manage it. I've got the bigger ones seem to be the worst at the minute. They take over our driveway with their cars. So, mm. yeah, it's a bit of yeah, family management sometimes, as in we've got three big car parks around us, as in our car parks, yeah. And so there's plenty of places to park. They've only got to walk 50 foot, 100 foot to the house. Mm. 
um, because you can't turn on a drive when they're all there. See, I, so, I thought I thought I had a lot with three. Three is good. Three, three kids good. was difficult to get into a car because I, I had a, a small car at one point and getting the the youngest who was the tallest behind me because they always made a sit behind me because she was the youngest yeah. and the seats being cramped. How, how do you how did you manage cars with that many? We kids? had a minibus, but so I suppose because they were spread out over years, right. as the smaller ones, as we got too many smaller ones, like one of them was driving. So like sometimes it's hard when we're going places. Yeah, but it's easy nowadays because if we're all going, we all went go kite recently, and so we went in two cars. Yeah, but my son Tom, he's got a seven seater. Right. We've got a seven seater now, so that's fourteen of us. Josh, I think Matt's there. So there was like because we took went with a couple of grandkids as well hmm. and girlfriends. So I think there was three cars because that's the other thing. So you've got girlfriends or boyfriends. Um, so in the early days, it was a minibus, a Renault Traffic nine seater minibus. We had one of those for years. And um, we did talk about getting one of them roof boxes and putting a couple in that. <laughs> it's when you go on a plane, the things you know when you've got a big family that you probably wouldn't know if you've got a small family. Yeah. yeah. Is when you sit on a plane and you take up, obviously, quite a large section. But obviously, if you're booking your tickets online, you can choose when you seat, where you sit. So you can end up sitting in a whole row. Well, Ros and I were travelling, I think it was to the Canaries, and we had a baby, literally, that was, say, I don't know, three months old. And we had an infant, and they were both sitting on our lap where you strap them into you, yeah? And um, you can't have two infants in the same row. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's only seven oxygen masks. Ah. So it didn't announce See, that's what I mean. It's the strange things you learn when you... Yeah, and another good thing we got big family go all inclusive. Otherwise, it costs you it costs you more at the pool. Can I have some chips there, Jack? Can I have chips? Once you say yes to one, you've got to say yes to everybody. Can I have an ice cream? And it's an army of ice creams. Yeah. Wow. You, so if you buy one of them a pair of leggings, you've got to buy them all a pair of leggings. Or <laughs> boys as well. Can I have a pair of rugby shorts? Well, well, no, not this. But you put poppy leggings. See, so you, you learn the packing orders in front of you every day. It's amazing, like like how some of them will count how many baked beans that's on the plate. He's got more <laughs> beans than me. No, he ain't. He's got three more beans than I have. But you learn a lot about because you're literally living in a crowd, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And you and obviously you're living behind closed doors. We all see each other's personality and idiosyncrasies or you know, the way to handle things. So it gives you some good skills to it as long as you don't react. It can, that's the bit. Mm. Self-awareness is not. And that comes back to overwhelm. I've learned myself from having a busy week and, and you've got a lot going on that you can be snappy or you can be too quick. And that, now that might be how you feel at the moment. That don't serve them. They don't serve them individually. It doesn't serve as a pecking order, an example, that conditional program. It doesn't serve. It might only be a micro moment. But if you don't manage those micro moments, those micro moments become the condition of the program. Mm. So it's that that moment to breathe. And sometimes they and they, there are like sometimes they can be a bit stressed teenagers and they say something to you and they expect an answer in, in a moment. And sometimes you ain't got the answer because you, you you're walking out the Zoom meeting, walking into it, and it's like a shockwave. You just walk from one injury into another, 
So it's been able to manage those micro moments, having the awareness to go, right, yeah, just give me a sec. Just, yeah, give me a sec. Let me get a cup of coffee first. Let me think that over. Buying yourself time to think or to feel or because sometimes we can react, we can, and it can cause like, uh, a bit, like a bit like a form of post-traumatic stress, not just in the family, in the workplace. I mean, if you're in a Zoom meeting, you walk out and there's a conflict between whoever. Yeah, Brian said this, and you go, yeah, oh, what, what do you mean? I don't know why he said that. But normally it's where, we, where, where we're trying to hold ourselves together. And so a family is a good place to see it. I'm sure behind your closed doors, there's a lot of things that happen where they get the up or whatever. I know when there's 11 of them in the house plus mum and dad, sometimes Ross and I just get put Netflix on and get a glass of wine. We don't work it out. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we go out and go, that's it. Because when mum and dad's not there, it's that pecking order takes over. Tom's in charge because he's like the eldest boy or Shelby's in charge because she's the eldest girl. It's like age seems to have some form of authority mm. within a family. When you go into a company... Yeah, and you've got the new bot that, that comes in. Yeah, it might be sharp as a razor, bright as a spark, but it might be 21. And if you're in a culture of a pecking order age group, that a 21-year-old can't be seen, nor respected, nor understood. So age is a very funny thing in a pecking order, in a family and in a company. But when we're not aware of it, we're running the organic when we're aware of it and we, we become conscious of it, it's not a blame, shame, guilt, regret thing because people aren't aware that they're doing it. But when we become aware of it, a bit like you said with the car, take a simple thing like a car, five-seater car, yeah? When you go out, I'm not going to ask you this question because this question can get you in a bit of trouble, yeah? When you go out, yeah, as a family, who drives the car? Yeah, see, so when I go out with family... Yeah, when we always went out when I was younger, younger being probably, I don't know, 15 years ago, I always drove. Never thought nothing of it. And it was only when my son was playing Xbox and my daughter Phoebe went to play the Xbox and she said, oh, can I go? And he went, no, he said, it's Call of Duty. And I said, what do you mean it's Call of Duty? He said, it's Call of Duty, Dad. I said, so? And it was a micro moment. Those micro moments that we give no justice to, like no, no, like justice—the wrong word. No observation to. So when we go out, sometimes I drive, sometimes the wife drives. Back to the minibus. You got nine kids getting in, yeah. You know, what, like eight kids in and mum and dad in. Say so. Who's driving? When mum's not in the car, or when dad's not in the car, who sits in the front? And you would notice after a while, you keep the same two kid getting in the front, the eldest one and the next one down. And then, then they'd be fighting over who sits where in the back. Mm. And I said, right, we're going to change this around, yeah? We're going to make this fair. We're going to put a road for it, who sits in the front. Now, because of airbags and that, William, you can't sit in the front yet. You're too young. But for the ones that are old enough. So when we go into the car, if you're driving, yeah, Who's in the passenger seat? Now, if mum's in the car or dad's in the car, whatever, let's say they're not in the car. Who's next? And they automatically get into that seat. And then who's sitting behind them? And then who's sitting in the middle and who's sitting behind whoever's driving? Now, if mum's driving, the dynamic can change slightly because there's more leg room sometimes behind the, the, the driver's seat. 
But normally the pecking order of a car is driver's seat, passenger seat, the seat behind the passenger, the seat behind the driver, and the middle seat is the last one. That's the least valuable. And you'll see kids fighting tooth and nail for those seats. Take that into a boardroom. Sit around a table and see where people sit and see if they sit in the same seat all the time. That's the problem. Is that just the seating order in the room? Is the control order in the room? And the control order and the seating order seems to be the speaking order. And the speaking order seems to be the innovation order to control. A lot of people are, are totally transparent. You can't see it. So, in a scene, just changing the seats, just changing the order of how setting the room up, putting name tags down. When they set the meeting up, they say, oh, sorry, John, that's your seat there. Oh, I normally sit here. I'll put you here this time. Get name, name badges on your table where they sit. Why? Because you can change the order of that. And not only that, it, you've got clicks. So Darren Lee and, and Mary might always sit together. When you change the order, you start to create an inclusive, diverse community. But if everybody's sitting together, you've got conscious concession in thinking and you haven't got collaboration. Change the order of the seating, same as I did in the minibus, and you start to see harmony come. Once the initial change is out of the way, and it's fair, the new system goes into place, normally after about three times of it being done. That seems to be the programming. And it, now it's the new new culture. But then everybody's getting a turn, everybody's getting value, yeah, apart from William because he, he was too young. <laughs> so when, when you take it into the same with, say, at home, you might have your armchair. It's dad's chair or mum's chair. Yeah. yeah, and it's special to sit in that chair. Just by saying to your wife, yeah, would you like to sit here, love? Well, no, that's your chair. Yeah, no, you sit there. It's a comfortable chair. Yeah, I'll get you a cup of tea. Just saying that could be the perfect micro moment to show empathy and respect. For instance, sit here, love. Oh, no, I'm fine. That's your chair. No, you sit down. You've had a hard day. I'll do you a cup of tea. It's not just the cup of tea and the sit down. It's... It's not a position of authority, even if it's dad's chair. It's just a chair. When we label things, we give it authority. When we give it authority, we give it control. Mm. When we share, sharing is, is fair. When we share, yeah, it actually creates inclusion. And that creates collaboration and unity. And that, that is a better form of programming and conditioning rather than the organic one, anyone. Whether that makes sense. To me, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> no, it does. I've, I'd never thought of it like that, because when I was growing up, my dad always had the same chair. And I could sit in that chair when he wasn't in the house. But when he was in the house, that was his chair, get out. My mum always sat in the same chair. I never got to sit in my mum's chair, because that was her chair. I was on the sofa. And what you were talking about with, with the kids then, with my three kids, yes, they always made the youngest sit behind me because that was the smallest space, mm. even though she was the tallest. My daughter, the, my middle one, is the boss, which is weird. She's the one who dictates where people sit. And sometimes she'll sit in the passenger seat, sometimes she'll sit in the back. But it's her decision. Nobody gets to pick. It's all her. And I never thought about that in an office. So when we, well, we, we have meetings... Take that bit there. Yeah. yeah, but take that bit there. When she goes into life or relationship, as a responsibility as a father, not picking on you, but with me, when yeah. I see those, that's her personality and everyone listens, that's fine. But when you throw 20 years on that, yeah, not picking on your daughter, 
that's where sometimes it's just changing the order. And sometimes putting it into a game. Sorry, I cut over you. I didn't mean to because what I want no, you no, to do sorry. that bit. These personality traits we have or the disprofiles or hierarchy of needs, whatever, it's a good way of describing it, but normally it comes back to micro moments that allow these micro moments to develop and then it becomes the custom. Mm. And when it becomes the custom, it becomes the control aspect. Even where, say, the middle one could be telling the older ones what to do. And not, that means that's a good, a good example of the older one because the older one might be more, not respectable, but more aware they do more support structure. And because of that support structure, the middle one seems to get a little bit more attention, get mm. attention from mum, dad, and the older one. You go, can go through that transition with the older ones picking on it. But when you take it into an office, like you're saying, and that's where I, I sort of not jumped in, I was just trying to, you caught my attention with that piece. Mm. But yeah, go on. when you go into an office, it, it, it does flow over. Yeah, I mean... We have meetings downstairs, for example. We've got a meeting room with six chairs at it, three one side, three the other. And there's one person always sits in the same seat. He's not a manager. He's not in charge. Um, he tends to sit there because it's closest to the mouse for the computer because he tends to put stuff up on the screen. He doesn't need to be the one that does that, but he always sits in that chair. Nobody else goes in there other than him. And you think, what? why is that? We could mix that around because that gives him the control. That gives him the power over the meeting, yeah. even though he's he's not the one running it, yeah. which is interesting. And it's not and it's not an intent, and they're not aware of it. So it's not like a toxic thing, as hmm. in I'm in charge. It's sometimes a comfort thing, a bit like a comfort blanket. But sometimes, if you've got six chairs, if you can get six different colours, yeah, and just because it, it, a lot a lot of the culture now is. Uh, diversity, inclusion, which is good, I think. Coming back to the bullying conversation, it's absolutely brilliant. But if there's a control to that inclusion and that diversity, there's no diversity and there's no inclusion. So if you have different coloured chairs or numbers on the chairs, and before you start, I mean, if you want it to be literally random and literally pure and fair, you just have a few numbers on a piece of paper, throw it in a bowl, when you mix it up, you go, right, pick your number, there you go, there's your chair. And you can just call it a social experiment. Yeah, what we're going to do because we want diversity and inclusion. There's no authority on the chairs now because we want everybody to pull together. But as soon as you change the combination of that pecking order, see, music. The gap between the notes is the music. Yeah. So I've done this in presentations. I've done this once at um, Old oh, City West in Dublin, about 1,500 people in the audience, and I put. Flip chart up and wrote a number on it. I said, what I'd like you to do, everybody, I said, I'm going to turn the flip chart around, it's got a number on it, I want you to write it down on a piece of paper as fast as you can, and when you've done that, hold a piece of paper in the air. And everybody done it that had a piece of paper, and they held it up. I said, right, I'm going to point, point to, as a point to you, yeah, I, I want you to hold it in the air, as a point to you, I want you to stand. Yeah, and I want you to say the number. So a point to maybe one, two, three, four, five. Brilliant. And can you stay standing for me? Pointed, and I said, everybody, if you agree with, if that's the same number you've written, what, what you've written down, I was like, what you've written down is the same as what, what's your name, sir? John. What John said, please stand. And everybody stood. And I said, the number is at one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, it's, I've got to think of the number that I've dyslexia. It's 1,200, 12,345. 
But you all wrote down one, two, three, four, five, and when John said it was one, two, three, four, five, everybody's agreed with it. So it's unanimous. I said, but it's not one, two, three, four, five. It's 12,345. Mm. And I'll show you why. And I said, you think I'm playing with you. Write down one, two, three, four, five on a piece of paper and then write down 12,345 12, and you'll see the gap between the numbers is different. You do not write 12,345 the same way you write down 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. The gap between the numbers is where the value is. The gap between your breath is where your life is. The gap between your heartbeats is where your life is. The gap between the music is where the notes are. And a lot of people miss the gap. They hear the music. They know they can hear the heartbeat. But they, that heartbeat is where your life is until the next heartbeat. Your breath is the gap between your breath is where the gap between your next breath and the breath you just had is where your life is. The gap between the numbers is where value is. The value isn't the number. It's the gap between it. So if you've got a football team and you've got your star player and then if you ask the coach, the coach should you told him to put a number on it, you go, well, John's the number one, he's the star player. Number two, yeah, they're going to put you in a value. A number like 10 or 11 or 12, whatever number you've got in the group, 50, is being controlled by all the other numbers before them. Hmm. If you take number 50 or number 10, whatever the highest number is, and you move their value to number one and you reverse the pecking order, you watch out your kickback you get. You just change somebody's value. Thank you, Don. You just change. Give everybody a number. You're number one, Darren. You know, I lost my internet connection there. If you give somebody number one and say you're number one and then the next person number two and so forth, give them that for a week, yeah, and they go, well, I'm a number one. We well, are. Well, I'm a number two. You're second in command. That's how they're going to take it. Whether you say it's second in command or not, change it around a week later and you get you won't see the questions you get. The only problem we're having in the workplace or in relationships, doesn't matter what name we put on it, the puncture is value. Disrespect means you don't value me. Mm. Yeah, and we can put it in a negative, narcissistic, whatever, but it all comes back to value. And the reason it's value is because some of us will default to John. Yeah, well, John, you know more about this. We'll go to you. And that would be the natural thing to do because back to these Zoom meetings or meetings, we've only got a certain amount of time. We've got to get through it fast. We're going to go to the expert. We think's the expert in our mind. But when we do... We're actually not including the other people in the room. And it's more an organic thing. We're, we're under pressure. We're trying to get things done fast. But then we're held as being toxic. And well, I went to John because I thought John was in charge of it. I'm sorry. And we're being called out for stuff that unintentionally, that when we're nowhere near, that wasn't an intention. I hadn't even thought that way, felt that way. Simple little things in those micro moments, because it's micro moments that cause the damage is going, uh, well, uh, I'd like to put that open to the room, and once I've got uh, everybody's uh, ideas from that, I'd like to go to John to see, so John can summarise it, just to see if there's any bits that's come up, or leave John out. The point is, if you go to number 10, me, I would say, depending on the meeting I'm running, if I knew that John should be the most likely candidate to answer it, but I've got nine others in the room, 
then I'll, I'll go, normally with me, I'll go to the one you least expect first. Mary, I'd like to start with you because you're nearest me. That's where it comes back to setting the room up properly. Where I put the names gives me the order. Mary, I'll start with you because you're, you're the nearest, yeah? Or Mary, you're the nearest to the mouse. Can you run the meeting? Or can you do the slide? I'm not sure how to do it. That's all right. Martin, can you just give Mary a few pointers? Brilliant. That's perfect. And you can change the whole, you can upskill people, you can have collaboration. There'll be those little frag moments, micro moments of stress, huffs, puffs. As long as those people don't, like, get caught up in those little, oh, what's up? Nothing. Well, what'd you have? As long as we don't give that our attention and we get the gap, because each person's having similar feelings. The little girl sit behind the seat, it's not fair. Whether she's bigger or smaller, it's not fair. Moving it around sometimes, but then you'll get the kickback because they're used to the social construct. It's the social construct that's the problem. And because nobody's ever really sat back and looked at it and given... I don't know, a strategy to it. It changes so easily. Mm. Just by letting your youngest sit in your chair. Oh, they feel like a king or a queen. They would. It's the throne of the house. Yours or mum's chair is the throne. Yeah? The only time we might put them in it is the hurt the knee. Oh, sit in daddy's chair. Let's have a look. And we seem to be doing it when we're in that empathetic moment. We're not conscious of it. When we start becoming conscious of where the value is in home, when my wife and I, we went away at the weekend to the UK and we come back. Our bedroom when we left was nice and tidy. Yeah, everything was lovely. When we come back, there was Roz's hair straighteners over there. Our bed was all messed up. There were sweet wrappers in the room. <clears throat> we got, yeah, I mean, it looked like a bomb, is it? Yeah, and now we could have come back and there is that part of you that think, oh, my God, like now you've got to change the sheets, you've got to do this, you've got to pick all the rubbish up. Who was in our room? You could do all of that. But mum's and dad's room's like the palace. We've got seven inch TV on a room and everything like that. I mean, wouldn't you want to go into mum's and dad's room when they're away? I know I would. So I can't hold my kids responsible for what I would have done. I can put, you know, if you're going to come in here and watch TV, yeah, look at the room. What do you see? Was it like that when we left? No. Well, mum and I are going to go and have, sit down at the table and have a glass of wine. We'll be back in 15 minutes. If you're going to use a room, you're not going to abuse it, you're going to tidy it. Yeah, so I'll be back in 15 minutes. And they, right, and it's the who you can hear. It's like they're all there flying. Yeah, there's normally one in charge. That's normally the eldest one. Age seems to have a superpower. I don't know. I haven't worked that one out yet. But look, if we look into our lives, we can see, and the same in the marketplace. Oh, the same in the marketplace. Brands, it's a value. But the true value, oh, the true value of any brand or the true value of any communication is connection. And you can't connect if you're on a social construct. You can only connect within the programming or like within the, the conditioning. Where conditioning is the gap between the numbers. As soon as we become conscious of micro moments and reflection, that comes back to our Zoom meetings in the gaps of the meetings. Mm -hmm. We don't get time to reflect. We haven't got time to process organically or emotionally. The last bit on that is you've got to look at it five ways. There's only five ways to see anything. There's three types of feelings, and they're emotional, physical, or spiritual, like an excitement energy, like a chi energy. Yeah? So they're the three feelings. They make so many different feelings that we have names for and labels for. There's only three types of feelings in my world, my world being my skin in. And then there's thoughts, 
and then there's images like imagination. There's a, a, a little complicated bit when you overlay that. There's three timelines. Past, which is your memories that you've had, your experiences, your micro moments that you've had. Present, which is you in the now. And future. So worry, concern, doubt, fear is all future-based. Doubt is thought on the future. Worry is thought on the future. Fear is biological, not psychological. It's reptilian brain, autonomic sympathetic nervous system's fight, flight, freeze. Lack of pride is lack of spirit energy. So passion, purpose, pride, um, excitement. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to going to the meeting Friday. That's visual, looking forward. But which energy is behind the looking? I'm, re I'm really excited about going to Darren's party. That's a chi energy. It's different to emotion. Light falls into emotion. Love is a unity of all five. You have no thoughts that disrespect somebody. You have no images that, in a sense, negative uh, viewpoints of them. Your emotion, your heart's in place. Your gut, your biology's in place. You know, you've got no funny butterfly feelings negative in your stomach. And your cheese in place. Uh, I would say that's down in your lower regions. So if we're, if we're stuck... Yeah, so a bit like an overwhelmed, we're stuck. Stuck is a physical feeling, obstacles. I've got to get past these challenges, I've got to get over these obstacles, I've got too many things in my way. That's a physical energy being communicated through thought. If I'm feeling low, yeah, that isn't a physical energy. Feeling tired is a physical energy. Feeling low is a spiritual energy. I'm feeling low this week, yeah, which means I'm just, you know, just. Just, you know, not proud about what do it. It just doesn't excite me anymore. That's a spirit energy. I'm not enjoying my work. I used to love my work. That's unity. That means everything worked for me. I don't enjoy something. It's an emotion. It doesn't make sense to me as a thought. I can't see a way forward. And the reason that is, it comes back to awareness again. What we communicate about ourselves. You know, this is doing my head in. Yeah. And we say, this, I don't know, Darren said such and such, it's doing my head in. I translate that. It's, it, I cannot process it in my conscious algorithm. The data's not matching. But rather than moaning about it, I should go back to Darren and say, Darren, not in the negative. Darren, you said something the other day, and I just can't process it. You said X. And I'm not saying it to Darren as in a negative. I'm saying it in a neutral space. Hmm. Could you give me more data so I can process it? Yeah, I, where I'm stuck in my head is this. Now, when I say where I'm stuck in my head, what I'm actually saying is I can't process the data and it's making me feel uncomfortable physically. And that's where the PSD comes into it. Reptilian brain, people come back from war zones or they can have like a, a reaction to a gun, like a, a car backfire and they think it's a gun. The sympathetic autonomic so the nervous system reacts, and that's where stress is. See, stress is in the biology. Yeah, uh, that isn't emotional. But then we can say, I'm really stressed, it's making me unhappy. Physically, I'm stressed, emotionally, I'm unhappy. I'm really stressed and I can't think through. Physically, I'm stressed and my mind is confused. And when we start to see these combinations of the five, yeah. So when we say to when those micro moments, what am I feeling? Because that's being present. Am I being controlled by what I'm thinking in the future? What I'm feeling in the future? Am I being controlled 
by programming of data or hereditary behaviour in the past, that's patterns of behaviour, or am I present? Am I me? Am I I? So when we come back, we saw the bedroom. You got that initial, oh, my God. Everybody does, yeah? But that's the organic. The self-awareness and and what we call self-control, self-management, isn't when we're over our shoulder. It's being present in the now. Present is why are you? I. But if we're too much in the I, then we're in the ego, because I in Latin is ego. If we're too much in the I, we're not in the we or us, which means we're separated. So when it comes back about are we aware, like in a sense, are, are people in, in the workplace aware, are people in the family aware, what part of my energy am I in? Am I in true me, as in I'm number one, and every other number's worth less than me, and because of that, I'm not happy, and because I'm not happy, every other number has to do what I say. That's where self-management comes in, self-awareness comes in. What am I feeling? Because only three feelings. Where am I feeling? I'm feeling it in my chest. It's emotion. Feeling it in my gut. It's biology. I don't know where I'm feeling it. Spirit. Yeah, because when we start to attack what others call attack, when we're actually really communicating, you done this to me. That sounds like an attack. So you go on defense. You go on denial, defense, or deflection. And when you're there, there's no communication. There's no connection. You made me feel this. You can't make me feel anything. My feelings are my feelings. Your data, what you express. Now, if you call me a name or hit me, I know that that data universally has a negative. But if I just say, I don't know, you're right, buddy. I don't like them, buddy. Sorry, Darren, I didn't realize. Yeah, or... All right, buddy, I don't like the word buddy. Sorry, mate, I, didn't, I don't like the word mate either. Um, use my name. That's why I've given the name. Okay, sorry, Darren, I didn't realise. Well, now you know. But that's most likely a trigger from somewhere before. But I don't know that trigger. I haven't got your encyclopedia of life. And then we start to, in, in, in society or in the boardroom, we start to create these processes and communications where you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't do this, you can't do that. And it becomes very controlling. And then how you know it's controlling is there's a punishment. And it really becomes very controlling when there's a law or an act brought in. Because the act is only to govern the micro moments. The law is only to govern what you say or what you do. That's all it is. When it's a don't do, it's to govern what you do. And what happens is, so can we see the consequences? Yeah, you can see the consequences in all the laws that's being changed in companies, policies, procedures, laws in government, communication, schools, everything. You can see it changing all the time. But the reason it's changing is because it's compounded more and more, I think, because we're not having, we're not managing micro moments. They're all emotional or angry moments. They build up, they get into overwhelm. Then too many people are feeling the same thing. Then there's a, a something or a someone put on it. And then then there's a judgment put on it. And as soon as there's a judgment put on it, there's a sentence put on it, a written sentence, and the sentence becomes the punishment. So, And all we're trying to do really is control the future, not the now, because laws are there to control the future to ensure the safety. But the challenge is the safer we become, the more laws we get. Because if you were being traced by a law and you would be worried about the law, as soon as we're comfortable and we're safe, then once we're safe, the next priority becomes security. So whatever feeling is feeling out of sync, 
that's where, because if you look at any laws, I mean, COVID, what was COVID? It was a physical illness. So what was open? Pharmacies, supermarkets, everything else that wasn't in the biological realm was closed. And then the, the only place that might have been where you could get counselling, that's psychological or emotional. But the top priority was biology. If there's an earthquake, the thing you protect is biology. So if people have safety, they then want security. Yeah, and security is future-based, safety is present. So the bullying bit taught me about the timeline. Why are they doing this to me? What did I do? That's my past. I didn't do anything to deserve this. That means I've done nothing in my past. I've said nothing that I'm aware of. Then you ask them, what did I do? And most humans will tell you you did something because they have to justify why they did something. Do you, I, I did it to you because you said that. All right, well, I didn't mean, why did you do it? I didn't mean anything by it. And we're always on to defence of, and some people are so defensive that we're either defending ourselves by attack, but some people are so defensive they have turrets and archers, yeah? Some people say, I take offence to that. Mm. And I say, well, you can take a wall or a gate if you want. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, fence is a barrier. No barrier between us. What's broken our connection, I don't know. Well, I didn't like the way you said it. All right, so it's my tonality. That's an energy. So then if I change my tonality, I can say, all right, Darren. All right, Darren. I can go up. All right, Darren, how are you doing? All right, Darren, how are you doing? Same thing, all I've changed is the tonality. One says I'm excited to see you, which is my chi energy. All right, Darren, how are you doing? Yeah, I can do a happy energy. All right, Darren, how are you doing? That's a, yeah, yeah. That's, so that's the emotion energy, or I can do the dominant energy. All right, Darren, how are you doing? That's the physical energy. But I can soften the physical one. But if you listen, there's the tone, the words, the interactions, the pecking order, you start layering it up. And that's what we call programming and conditioning or social construct. And then we try to change it because none of us are happy emotionally. None of us are happy with it. It doesn't make sense to us, intellect. We can't see why it's there in the first place, vision, yeah? We feel stressed because of it or angry because of it, physical, yeah? And we're not proud about it or we, we don't feel excited about going to work. We start to dread. Dread is in in, in the chi energy. I'm going to talk about it all day, Darren, and I'm conscious I, that I've been talking for a while. No, I, I, I do you know, I, I, I can understand why you're working with, with businesses on this because it, it's never occurred to me when you're asking feedback from from your team to ask the person least qualified for it first to get their input rather than always go to the same person. And it's also never occurred to me that the way you say something, but of course it is, of course it is, the way you say something impacts the way somebody takes it. I know that, but it's just never occurred to me within a business environment. So I'm going to be conscious of that now and careful how I phrase things and the tonality of, of, of what I use it. It's fascinating. Um, but we, we are out of time, as, as you say. Sure. I, I think I asked you a question and you, you answered it in about 45 minutes. But that's cool. That's cool. That's no problem. <laughs> that's me. So as, as, as a summary, um, if, if someone's listening to this and they think, bloody hell, that guy knows everything and he can solve my problems in my business, what's the best way for someone to, to get in contact with you? The easiest way is on LinkedIn. Just do a search for Lee Tunnyware and just say you heard me on Darren's podcast and yeah, just connect. I'll happily connect with you. Um, 
And but it's amazing if how how do we communicate to people? We only communicate in the written word or the spoken word, really, or through a touch. Otherwise, mm. there's no connection. And body language. Got, well, body language is like in a sense, yeah. Mm. But when you go home tonight, or you see your kids tonight, yeah, it's amazing what I rub on the head or two. Don't need a word. <laughs> Man, so that's on the body language, like you're saying, or just put your hand on your son's shoulder or your daughter's shoulder, mm. your wife's or partner's shoulder, or your, yeah, your husband's foot. Yeah, just those little touches, micro, you'd be surprised your whole life would change. Even right. with clients, customers. Right. I, I will try that and, and try not to get into HR trouble as well while I do it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, a bit different in the workplace. You can't do yeah. that. I said your kid, your wife, your partner. Yeah. But you said, you said, you said, you said, cli- you said clients as well. I mean, careful not well, touching. Well, the well, clients, what I mean is with the micro moments. But it's a bit like you hand your pens out at a meeting. <laughs> who do you hand a pen to first? If you hand in handouts out at a meeting, who do you hand it to first? It's a pecking order to everything if you look. Sometimes That's... it's out of convenience. Yeah. But sometimes people go out of the way to give it to Darren first because he's the boss. That's true. Right, you thank you, thank you, Lee. Um, that's been brilliant. Thank you for being on the podcast. I've I've loved this, and I've I've learned loads, which is one of the main reasons I do these podcasts. So, thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you.